0: Welcome to This Girl Cam, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. And wow, we are definitely doing that this week. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I'm chatting to Francesca Watke, founder and CEO of NEN. NEN is a mission-driven organisation founded to help children with cancer, their families and HCPs with pain management. Globally, there are approximately 500,000 children fighting cancer today. 46 children every day get told they have cancer, and every single one of them experiences pain. I have personal experience of parenting a child suffering long-term severe pain, so I know firsthand the good Nen's doing simply by offering parents alone some hope and control. It's an absolute honour to speak to Francesca about her motivation to start the company and learn more about her incredible achievements to date. So let's get going. Good morning, Francesca. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Liv. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Francesca, I'm desperate to get into talking about your business and the work that you're doing at the moment. But before we do all of that, I'd like to find out first a little bit more about Francesca away from work. Sure. I'm a mom of three teenage boys. So Max is 17,
1: Charlie's almost 16 and Simon's 13. So that certainly keeps me very busy as a taxi driver when I'm not working. It's, they're a great source of humor and joy and inspiration. (laughs) I feed you do it. (laughs) Three boys.
0: (laughs) We're busy. I can only imagine how much time you've had to spend cleaning bathrooms. (laughs) Yeah, and buying groceries. (laughs) Yeah, no, they
1: definitely keep us on our toes and certainly keep us laughing and, and our refrigerators clean. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine constantly. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the things you, outside of ferrying your boys around? What sorts of things interest you outside work? We're, we really
1: are very focused on our family. We are quite busy during the week. Both my husband and I were both digital ther- pediatric digital therapeutic CEOs, so we are quite busy during the week they're quite busy the boys with their sports during the week so on the weekends we we really like to relax when we can when we're not driving them to their various sports games and practices and as a family we love traveling and going out to eat and exploring new things and getting
0: fresh memories yeah making memories lovely yeah perfect so let's talk about your work then, because this is it's so fabulous what you're doing. So first of all, just give me a little insight into, obviously you worked at Almoral, MSD, Novartis, you've worked at some huge organizations. And then in February 22, is that correct? Yeah. You came away from all of that to set up NEN. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, my career over the past gosh nearly thirty years now has been really focused on drug development, but it hasn't been a linear route. I started in managing clinical trials, then I went on to get my PhD and trained as a scientist, and then went into biotech private equity, then strategic management consulting, and then have been in pharma for quite some time. But the red line has always been trying to accelerate product development to get to patients who really can stand to benefit from it. About nearly eight years ago, I got into the digital health first as a digital health venture capital investor with Merck, as you mentioned. And then as chief digital officer, where well, we were operationalizing digital solutions in-house at Almo, And we also started a digital health startup accelerator there, which was great. And we incubated a total of 10 companies and kind of help them with their business models and with their go-to-market plans. I'm really happy to say that all of them are still, are still around. And that's been great news. We've had two exits, which is unusual and quite nice, but it really got us very close to the startup world and, and thinking about not just creating solutions, but really solving for problems within healthcare, because I think Many startups come up with really cool tech that isn't really keeping anyone up at night. So we always tried to focus on solution-seeking for real-world problems, either within the industry or within healthcare. Yeah. And when I was thinking about what my next steps would be, I knew I wanted to do something that was very mission-driven, that really was, had patients truly at the core and can really benefit patients' lives in a meaningful way. And so I put my consulting hat back on, I did a scan of the whole of the digital health landscape and was really surprised to see there were so few innovations within pediatrics in terms of digital health. The Venn diagram was, where are the gaps? Where are the needs? Can those gaps or needs be filled with a digital solution, but specifically with a digital therapeutic? Because I feel strongly that's the fourth wave of medicine. We've had small molecules then biologics, then cell and gene therapy, and I've been lucky enough to work across all of those areas. But now I really see digital therapeutics as the wave of the future, particularly when our healthcare systems are so taxed. After COVID, there's been a tremendous amount of physician and and healthcare provider attrition. So how do we solve for real-world problems using digital therapeutics and then the last piece of that Venn diagram is do I care? Is this something that I can be really passionate about? And that was the genesis of men. We had looked at digital therapeutic solutions for adults to help adults manage manage their pain via cognitive behavioral therapy. And I thought, why not apply and adapt that for children? Pain is such a huge issue in pediatrics and is really not an area of a tremendous amount of research. And there is a WHO. Mandate that came out that said pain in managing pain for kids is a fundamental human right, and we thought, why not apply gamification and leverage play in children to to find a way to get them the therapy that they need, and then democratize that therapy to make sure that kids all over the world, regardless of their economic situation or their access to healthcare, could benefit from that. Wow! Wow!
0: So why do you think that it was such an area of so little research? Now you've obviously, you've come the way down the line. What have you learned? It's not entirely
1: clear. I think people are, instance, viewed as a very niche market. I don't think it's so niche. A quarter of our population are kids. So it's really quite large. They're probably the predominant users of digital technology. My children are constantly showing me things on my phone and on the computer. And they've been, they've never lived without technology and for them it's perfectly normal and if you ask them how they'd like to get therapy and there was a study about this recently I think it was something like 75 percent of them would rather get therapy on a digital platform versus in person something they're familiar with and we're trying to create and gamify therapy for kids so it's fun and they don't even really realize that they're getting therapy or they're learning these skills along the way, but it is in fact delivering what we think will be the same level rev- of effectiveness and efficacy that, that we're seeing in person setting. Part of the problem with pediatrics and within the mental health space, if you will, is there are very few pediatric psychologists, even fewer that are trained in pain management So it really becomes an access issue. We have a collaboration with one of the largest, I think now the largest pediatric oncology center in Europe. And we expect to see 2,000 kids with cancer this year. And there's one pain psychologist that's managing all of those patients. Currently, kids are triaged based on whether or not they have pre-existing mental health conditions. And within the, the course of that therapy, if their therapist happens to be trained in pain management. They may also get some some pain management, but CBT is great in that it can really be applied to kids across different different conditions, different types of cancer, different stages of cancer, and can be modified across different ages as well. So we're focusing on kids with cancer between 7 to 12, but then we're going to quickly expand to the littles, which is where there's a huge area of unmet need, the scientific comparators aren't as robust as that mid-age range, which is why we're going to start there. And then we'll go into the adolescence. And then beyond pain and cancer, we're going to look to do smaller studies in different areas of chronic pain for kids, like IBD, irritable bowel disease, migraine, Plastic anemia, sickle cell, orthopedic issues, neurodegenerative conditions. So our goal is to really treat kids with pain across the continuum and wherever they are.
0: So talk to me more about the gamification bit, if you will. Tell me, is, try and describe it to me because I'm really fascinated by it. Obviously, my, <clears throat> I've got a nine-year-old and a nearly nine-year-old and a nearly 10-year-old. So I've, got, I've also got a couple of two-year-olds, so they're, they're smaller, but certainly the nine and ten-year-olds, I, I know they're on Minecraft and Roblox all the time, so they, they know so much about coding and all of this. So how is it that is it that, that you're bringing out of them when they're doing this? So tell me a bit about it.
1: That's exactly right. So we're creating a bit of a fan- fantasy world for them. We have three virtual companions who look like these sort of forest fairy creatures that are very sort of gender neutral and different kids have decided that there are different genders. So I think that they'll resonate with all of them. They're not bound by ethnic norms. Initially, we had a bunch of virtual companions that we thought we would create to look like the children, but because we want a really global footprint it's really hard to do. So we've created these sort of non-human creatures that guide them through their journey. For the kids, particularly with small kids, it's very difficult for them to distinguish mood from pain. So you can have a very happy child who's in a tremendous amount of pain or a very sad child who isn't in pain at all or 2 year olds And as you know, what do you even do to manage them? <laughs> so, um, Dolores is our virtual companion that deals with CBT directed at pain. So her activities and her games will always be associated with pain, but in a way that doesn't make the children really focus on their pain and catastrophize about their pain. A bit of pain education, some CBT techniques that we know work in the pain setting. Um, some distraction techniques, some belly breathing, and just cognitive skills that help them put their pain into the right context. And these skills we expect the children to take with them beyond the gaming experience so that they can pull from their armamentarium and their toolbox. It'll be a literal toolbox within the game, but they'll be kind of collecting all these skills. And then we have Sarah and Tony that are more focused on the serotonergic receptor pathways. So Sarah We'll focus on anxiety and ask questions to the children like, are you scared and have activities around preparing them maybe for different procedures or for different things that they're going to face within their illness. And then Tony will focus on depression. So he'll ask questions. Are you sad? Let's talk about that. The goal is to provide CBT for pain, but also for anxiety and depression. But also give children the appropriate lexicon that they can start talking t- about their issues with parents, with health care providers, with their therapists, because many of these children are also receiving therapy outside of the hospital setting, if you will. The CBT is gold standard. We know that it works. We know that it works in kids of this age. We know it works across indications. Again, we're starting with oncology because from a clinical experimentation perspective, it's where we think we have the highest probability of getting our clinical validation, but then we'll expand more broadly. So the gamification piece is a a tool that we can use to to use positive psychology and rewards based psychology in order to get the children to complete their modules and unlock different worlds and different, different rewards along the way. Altruism is also something that, as a mom, is really important for me to introduce to the kids. I think the whole world can do with a bit more kindness. So children can share their points and their rewards either with actual children or with virtual children. We're trying to work through implications there. We don't want to pair children up directly who are experiencing the same condition. If one has a poor prognosis, it can be really devastating and really <coughs> impact that, that child. But we will encourage their friends and siblings and cousins to play in this world with them um, to give them a bit of a, a sense of community.
0: Yeah! Wow! So you're a year in, pretty much now, aren't you? It'll be your anniversary next month. Yeah, we're just but, coming up to it. How's it been? It must have been a roller coaster for you. It's, it, it in it's, itself is so emotive.
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a roller coaster, but it's certainly the best thing that I've ever done professionally or personally. As a family, we're all really bought in. We're early investors. We we continue to be. We've also brought on investors, angel investors, and I've been really humbled by the help both financially and strategically that we've gotten from our advisory boards. We have an amazing clinical advisory board that is comprised of worldwide experts from pediatric pain, and then our business advisory board, which are top digital health venture capitalists, pediatric innovators, social impact drivers, and um, names that some would know within the digital health community. And they've, both these boards have been absolutely critical in unlocking doors and unblocking things for us, and I think is really responsible for our momentum and the speed with which we've been able to tackle our milestones. We set out milestones for two years at the very beginning. And by six months, we had reached all of them. So we're wow. moving fast, which is fantastic. It's a bit of a roller coaster during a tornado sometimes, but it's yeah. uh, it's great fun. And we're, we did our first patient testing with our product this weekend, actually, where we were able to pilot with kids to get their... Uh, their views on you know what they think of the the platform we put in a couple of cbt modules for them to try out and we're really excited to see it developing into a thing into a product yeah um, yeah it's been great fun we're in the process now of our series a 10 million round of fundraising which is going well and hopefully we'll close that in the first half of this year have you
0: had any feedback from this weekend from the kids that have seen it yeah I haven't yet. In fact, I have a call right after this, so I'm, oh my God. I'm really, really looking forward to doing that. <laughs> so what have been to date the biggest challenges for you? And I suppose, I mean, for you personally as well, because you've been on quite a journey as well as the business, but you yourself coming away from working as an employee in these large organizations to suddenly setting this fabulous business up. It's quite a journey. It is. And I
1: think the biggest difference is the speed that we're able to to achieve our goals. And I think what's been most surprising is how kind people are and how willing to help they are. And that's been, it's been such a lovely and pleasant surprise. We've had people opening up their brains to us, their wallets to us, and the money that we've raised so far has been people investing personally because they are really aligned with our mission and vision. That's also a tremendous responsibility. We want to make sure we do right by them. The biggest pressure, I would say, is making sure that we have a product that's clinically validated and that's always based in science to make sure that we're getting something that really works for kids and families and that physicians will feel comfortable prescribing because our goal is to have this as a prescribed digital therapeutic. And that's something that we take very seriously. And we've been, as the very first thing that we did was to form a clinical advisory board to make sure that we were staying true to what the clinical research is, what the clinical practice is, and making sure that we incorporate all of that into the product from the very beginning. And also working with parents and kids from the very beginning to, Make sure that they're helping us co-develop the product in a way that's meaningful and, and useful, and for the kids, fun for them. Yeah,
0: about the engagement that you've had from some parents must have been fairly overwhelming. Really, I can.
1: It's been really overwhelming, and we we always make a point of securing some time in our agendas after a call with parents or with kids because um, you know their stories are so difficult, and um And the strength that they have is just amazing. Um, You know, we've also had some parents reach out to us who have lost children, but they really want to help other kids with their experience. And across the board, what we've heard from parents is beyond the initial diagnosis of cancer, which is obviously devastating for these families, managing their pain is the second most difficult part of this journey for them because parents feel really helpless in terms of not really having much to do to help their kids during this time. So we're, we thought of it initially as a nice to have a, a set of, of parent services, but we've actually moved up the development of the, of the parents to make sure that we can give them the tools that they need to help their kids get the best outcomes from CBT. We're not going to be delivering CBT to the parents directly, though that was a discussion that we had as well. But we really want the patient, the child to be our our focus, but we want to give the parents the tools, things like parental modeling, social learning, giving them even scripts to how to respond in a way that is supportive of the CBT that they're getting, doesn't augment the catastrophization that the kids are feeling sometimes that the parents, of course, every parent wants to do what's best for their child. But you know, these are very visceral responses sometimes and making sure that they're saying things to the child that are supportive and helpful rather than potentially negative or causing some untoward responses.
0: It's it probably, it's giving them a feeling of control as well, back at a time when there's, they're completely helpless. As, um, you know, I have some personal experience of that. And I know I can tell you, as a parent, being, just being told that there is something you can do and be, and feeling that you can make the tiniest bit of difference at any time, is, it goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I, that, that's exactly what we've heard from other parents, and we're giving the parents some homework as well. So some of the parental assessments and are going to be done by the parents rather than by the physicians, because if we rely on the physicians, again, we're confronted with this access issue. So we want to empower the parents who know the child better than anyone to make some of the, the pain assessments, some of the psychological assessments. And of course, these are all parent-reported outcomes that have been co-developed between parents and physicians. So they're easy for a layperson to understand. It's just a series of kind of, you know, drop-downs in the platform that the parents have access to. And then the two apps are connected. So the parents can see the progression that the child is having within the game, can understand some of the modules that they're completing, and then have some critical to successful CBTs having that homework where it's reinforced and the parents can reinforce some of their learnings with, with some activities and ideas for play for with their children.
0: Yeah. Has it changed you, do you think, this last year? Yeah, in so many ways. I think my
1: understanding of what a patient-centric solution is was I would say much more superficial than it is now. I think that's a buzzword that that pharma throws around with all the best intentions, but really having that contact with parents, with pr- providers, with kids directly. So this week I'm going to be performing a series of, of interviews with kids as well to have them look at the platform. Having that that one-to-one interaction, really trying to solve for real problems that they have is has been for me really life-changing. I think from all of my different career career spots or stops, I would say, along my career path, being an entrepreneur, being responsible for for the company, for the team that we've grown now to nine people. We're looking to hire two more in the middle of the year. I'm sure our funding round closes, that's been really eye-opening. I think as a as an investor, you're you realize that it's it's tough and it's stressful, but I don't think I appreciate it to what extent that's true. So I applaud See, all the entrepreneurs out there because it it really is hard work. It's very gratifying work professionally. This is by far the best thing I've ever done, but personally as well.
0: I can so what's next for you then? I'm hoping over the next five years, we'll go
1: through all of our clinical trials for cancer, for the different age ranges, for the different pain indications. We'll have a product on the market that's that's been through regulatory clearance that's that's reimbursed and that we can get into the hands of kids and families. But we're very much a profit-for-purpose company, so my goal is not just to, to have this return on investment for our venture capital investors, but really to get men to kids all over the world where wherever they might need it. soon, we're going to start focusing on and we're going to be bringing on a very senior exec onto the team to help us with the social impact democratization of the platform that we're really, that's really key to To who we are as a company, with the idea that we'll start partnering with NGOs and organizations once we've clinically validated, to make sure that we get them either into hospitals or just into neighborhoods where kids can access it, regardless of whether their parents have the ability to pay, whether they they have any sort of health insurance, or there's any sort of structured health system that that they can access. So that that democratization piece, I think, will be very difficult, but also incredibly satisfying. I mean, in places like the U.S., where we'll have a B2C channel directly to parents. We'll also be going directly to hospitals with our, our B2B version of the business. And then, of course, our prescribed digital therapeutic through payers and insurance providers and corporations, health insurance plans. There's, if you look at who is covered with all three of those areas, there are still a lot of kids that don't have health insurance. I think in the U.S., children are the largest proportion of uninsured. And so we want to make sure we work with grassroots organizations in the U.S. to make sure that we get that access, that those children have access to NAN, as well as in the Southern Global, where the, the healthcare systems are you know there's a huge access problem and children don't have access to things like cbt okay. and then hopefully beyond the next 5 years we try to expand on that and just work on expanding healthcare to children beyond beyond the platform
0: francesca we've talked and lot about your business. Normally it is more about you as an individual, but so I make no apologies for the fact that we've talked so much about what you're doing because it's, it needs that time. So I'm glad to have done that and I'm fascinated by it, but I do want to get more, a little bit more into you. And I'm really curious as I'm talking to you, you're so passionate about what you do. Did you always, you talked at the beginning about how you ended up in, in the area of paediatrics and pain, but beyond that, before that, when you were young what did you want to be when you grew up and yeah. has you, have you have you been consistently driven to this world do you think it's an interesting question i would say nothing about my career journey
1: and my career plans from a young age have been consistent but i from a very early age i did want to be a pediatrician and i was always interested in children's health that may be the only the only sort of wisp of, of what I'm doing now from my childhood, but I was always really interested in drug development and how we can get the best products to patients as quickly as, as, and safely as possible. So my first job after university was managing trials for an HIV AIDS clinic, and we had about 250 studies, loads and loads of patients. It was at the time where... Um, The protease inhibitors, I'm really dating myself now, (laughs) were being tested in the clinic and they were the first real hope for patients with HIV. And I saw, because I had a lot of interaction with the patients, I saw how transformative these products were. And there were many people who thought they were going to die and had given up hope. And then with, after being on these therapies, they were reestablishing relationships and they were going back to school and looking for jobs and starting to live their lives again. And, and that, that was probably the most mind changing part of my journey. It's what made me want to get my PhD in pharmacology initially to create more HIV drugs. That was my focus of my thesis. But then I realized in academia, though, They're doing amazing work in academia and in clinical research, basic research. I'm not a a super patient person, and the pace of research was much slower than than I think I was comfortable with. And which is actually why I went into private equity because you can put money behind really good products, accelerate their clinical development, get them to market sooner, safer, full of these things, and that was really compelling to me. So I think that acceleration of access to healthcare. Was was really the red line. I think if you would have asked my much younger self if my career path would have been expected, probably not. Because I don't know that I would have been to have lived in different countries and worked in different countries on different therapeutic areas. I don't know that there's a therapeutic area that I haven't touched in some way. But it's been really fun. I think my advice to people who are looking, um, you know, as they're starting to kind of forge their career is try it. Don't worry. Your choices when you're younger, when you're older as well, don't need to be permanent and forever. I think you'll start finding things that you're passionate about and that those tend to be the things also that you're probably pretty good at. Keep at it and, and just discover what what's exciting to you, and then and, and hopefully that can have a nice impact on the world as well.
0: So you preempted one of my questions. You've got three teenage boys. What's your, and it, it, is that really your advice to them as they start to enter adulthood? It is, and it's, I think they, sh- and I hope that they choose careers
1: without any pressure, without any any expectations from society, from us as parents. Just find whatever it is that they really like and that they think they can do well. And and hopefully at the same time, they can also do good. <laughs> and so uh, all three kids are very much involved with, with the company. My oldest is interning. He's actually changing his thoughts on his career based on some of the things that he's learned while working with us. So he was initially going to focus on biomedical engineering, which I can't imagine that most 16-year-olds know that they want to become a biomedical engineer, but he did. And now he's shifting more into psychology and neuroscience. He's interested in how things like neurobehavioral change can actually impact the brain and the chemical makeup and the structures of the brain. And so that's been a a little bit of a shift since he's been Working with us, my my middle guy, Charlie, is very into graphic design. He's very artistic, and he did our logo. And And then the little guy's a gamer. And so he's been, he's just been designated patience. as, yeah, as one of our testers, which made him extraordinarily happy. I think with, even within this silly example of how they've been adding value to, to the business, because there is a family affair. They've invested all the family's funds into this, so they have to be involved. But it's finding what's great about each of them and what they're curious about, and kind of re- reinforcing that and encouraging that, and making sure that they
0: find their own way. That their
1: their path isn't predetermined for them based on on anything.
0: I love that you've brought them that they're so involved in it, and it's such a family thing. When you had your boys, and you were you were obviously in, in larger organizations then. How was your return to work after your maternity leave? How did you find that period of time? It was very different with each of them, I have to say. In when
1: Max was born, my oldest, I was in a private equity firm, and there was lots of travel throughout a lot of my pregnancy. I would leave for California on Monday or on Sunday night, and then we had an investment near near Washington, so we'd fly to Washington, and then another one in Boston. We'd take the train up to Boston. I was based in New York at the time. There was a lot of travel. It was a lot of late nights. And as soon as Max was born, I very quickly realized I loved the work, but the pace of the work just wasn't consistent with how I wanted to be a mom. It's not to say that other people couldn't or shouldn't do it. It's just, it wasn't consistent with how I wanted to do it. So I actually went back to academia and, and worked with the scientists to think through how they can commercialize some of their technology. So using different pieces of my experience to help in a different way. And then when my second and third were born, my husband, Mark, and I had a boutique consultancy based in New York, where we were helping companies, pharma companies and and biotech companies, thinking through their portfolio prioritization, their market optimization. And that was really borne out the fact that we wanted to spend more time with our family and we wanted to have more flexibility. So while it was stressful because we told our parents, look, we're quitting our jobs that are relatively okay. We have I'm pregnant with our second, we have a one-year-old and we're gonna go it alone. They were they've lost their minds. But so it was stressful in the sense that we needed to make sure that we got clients to feed our children, (laughs) literally. Yeah. Uh, But it was also wonderful because we can take breaks right after their afternoon naps and go to the playground with them. I joked that I had a proper a proper maternity leave when I was with the private equity firm, although I had to go back about I think, three weeks after the baby was born to go to a conference. So my husband and the baby had to come along with me. So it was a little bit of a different kind of maternity leave. And it was in the U.S., which is different kind of eternity than have in general. But then with the second and third, it was our own business. So we, we worked, I was on a call in the taxi on the way to the hospital. I was having a conference call when I was getting my epidural. (laughs) So it was very different. We went right back into work as soon as we bought, we brought the babies home. But then when we moved to Switzerland, we were actually pitching work to to Novartis at the time as part of our business and they they wanted to hire one or both of us to do the role that we were pitching on as a more permanent employee in Switzerland so at this point I think I was eight months pregnant with our last and I said you know what I said to my husband why don't you go for this (laughs) and I'm going to take some time off I'm going to accumulate all of my maternity leaves and I stayed home with the kids for just under a year it was wonderful so my my return back to work after having the kids was was more immediate, but then I was able to, I was lucky enough to have time to spend with them when they were all still really little. So the youngest was five months and then I had a two-year-old and our oldest turned four on the plane on the way over. So really little ones. So that was really
0: nice. And it's lovely that you and your husband were doing that together as well, you know, that it was business together, that you were in that same place. Yeah. And I have to say,
1: without his support, I wouldn't be able, certainly wouldn't be able to do this, but probably wouldn't have been able to do most of the roles I've taken on. We were business partners, but we're very much partners as well and view our roles with the kids as, um, as completely joint. So I think we've both made choices and in some cases sacrifices for the family because that's what's most important to us.
0: Listen, I will let you go soon because I've, I know I've, I've, I've had so many questions at like you. I do have to ask you, though, because I'm curious. If you weren't doing this, so in the movie Sliding Doors, I always ask everybody, like, what do you think you'd be doing if it wasn't this? Do you ever think about any different routes you might have taken? I honestly have
1: no idea because I didn't think I would be doing this. So
0: I'm not really sure how to
1: answer that. I wish I had a wonderful answer that would be a completely different career based on a hobby of mine. Or no, I I really loved what i'm doing i've really loved what i've done i love learning so that's been a really important aspect of every new role i take i my my favorite day is the first day of a new job when i have absolutely no idea what i'm doing Love that. <laughs> and i have to figure it out but that i think the detective work is something that drew me to academia it's it drew me to strategic and management consulting. I think being an entrepreneur now every day I wake up and there's at least ten things that I don't know that I have to figure out. So I don't know, maybe I would be a detective or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> Private detective. That'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Francesca, it's been so lovely to talk to you. If anybody wants to know more about your business, can we send them to your website? Can we get them to get in touch with you via email? Is it hard? Absolutely. And thank
1: you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure and and I'm glad you invited me on the podcast. Our website is nen.help and my email address is Francesca at nen.help. Nen. So happy to connect and, and also to chat. We've had a lot of people just cold calling us saying that they're interested in what we're doing and wanted to help and, and also parents right. hoping that we can move even faster so we can yes. make sure that we get them to, to their kids. They're happy to chat and,
0: and thank you again for this opportunity, Liv. No, thank you. Thank you so much. I will, I'll put all those details in the show notes so that people can do that. Excellent. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. If you'd like to learn more about NEN Health or you want to connect with Francesca, check the show notes for the website and email address she provided there. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you're enjoying the podcast in general, please do subscribe if you haven't already and keep spreading the word on social media. As always, go to www.thisgirlcam.com to see this interview in print and to find out who my guest is next week. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now.